0: If you have enjoyed Baker Street 2033, why not consider supporting the second series? Go to koficom slash Neil neilfitzgerald. That's ko com slash neilfitzgerald. Your support would be most welcome. Baker Street 2033. A future Sherlock Holmes mystery. The Glass Cryptographer by Neil Fitzgerald Episode 13 Reconnaissance of the Virtual Kind Has just regaled us with how he had discovered the precise location of the mysterious Enterprise Ray. The entire hundred and eleventh floor was given over to Vray, which had a well appointed reception room where I was greeted by a young man in glasses. Have you been here before, sir? Yes, once or twice. Which package will you require, sir? Let me guess. He stepped back and scrutinized me that be the adventure of the glass cryptographer by any chance yes it would i replied confidently i recognize the costume sir most people don't wear them now but you still get the odd cosplay who can't help themselves we have a male customer most taken with that game sir he'll dress up for it occasionally holmes interrupted his narrative i took it he must mean you given what your wife had told us and so sensed i was on the right path i slapped my thigh Of course, her reaction when she saw you for the first time. Holmes continued his tale. How many hours, sir? The usual, I said, casually trying not to arouse suspicion as a novice. Ten it is. Payment is half now, half later. So that's fifty credits, please. Like Wiggins, the receptionist helped himself to these credits for my personage somehow, Watson. A method that escaped my deductive powers for the moment. Sweet nine is free. He then handed me a card that I assumed to be a key. Have fun. I was directed to a corridor, off which there were innumerable rooms. In lieu of solid walls were glass panels, allowing the passerby to peer in. Each room was filled with a man or woman, offered it was impossible to discern, wearing what looked like a large pair of goggles, except for the fact they were enclosed and occluded all outward vision. In their bulky form, they resembled the devices used by optometrists to find the most accurate lens for correcting one's myopia, but perhaps a sort of horizontal kaleidoscope forms a better likeness. Whatever these people were looking at certainly engaged them, since they were not gazing idly into the device, but moving about the room and using their hands as if they were manipulating objects in mid-air. It was like a perverse MIMAC that made no sense. There were tables bearing sundry items of food and drink cans and a cubicle in one corner of the suite contained a water closet and sink. It was almost peculiar. Arriving at suite 9, I used the car to open the door, electromagnetically I presumed, and went in, closing the door behind me. I found a pair of the kaleidoscope goggles hanging on a hook on the wall, along with a pair of gloves. I wasted no time in putting these strange accoutrements on, starting with the gloves, then the goggles. All was blackness until I impulsively clenched both my fists, which seemed to activate the device. I was suddenly transported into a new world, and I mean physically. This was not like the talkies, where images remain abstract in exterior, however involving... I was literally inside this world, a very old world as it happens, and one I had once thought to know intimately, Victorian England. Before me lay Conan Doyle's London, and I was free to roam about it as I so chose. I could see the cobblestones, the horse dung steaming in the cold air, the nimbus of gas obscured by the fog. All the sounds were there too, the cries of newspaper sellers, street hawkers and beggars, the clatter of carriage wheels on the cobbles, the police constable's shrill whistle, all of it. Indeed, all that was missing were the reeks of that great city. I was suddenly approached by one of the citizens walking along the street. He was dressed in a suit, greatcoat and brown bowler hat. The leather on his heels showed considerable wear, as if it were given to much pedestrianism. Good day, Mr Holmes. You want to be careful round here. There's no telling who might be watching ya. With that, he doffed his hat and strolled off. Was this warning friendly or threatening? I looked about. There was the bustle of a thoroughfare. I walked over to the pavement. Movement made me dizzy at first, but I soon adjusted to the motion sickness. The wide walls of the building before me seemed familiar. My eyes focused in on the number, 221B. It was Baker Street, Watson. Baker Street as Conan Doyle would have had us remember it, if we had ever existed. I rang the bell. Mrs Hudson answered the door. Elderly and fussy, she was much as we had seen her in the ITV version. She took my hat and coat, which, of course, I was wearing in the unreal world I was in, but not in the real world where I stood wearing the goggles and the gloves. I went upstairs to our flat which had all the furnishings and trappings of our former cohabitation including the tobacco-filled Persian slipper on the wall and a violin laying on a mahogany table beside an easy chair. I picked it up and began playing it. The Aleman from Bach's party to in D minor rang out in this fantastical realm. It was too much, I tell you, Watson. Too much. Mrs Hudson reappeared with afternoon tea and cake. When I partook of it The liquid level in the cup went down after each sip. The cake appeared to be consumed, though of course nothing was truly imbibed. It was all virtual, as I later learned. This, Watson, was virtual reality. Fray! I exclaimed. Bravo, Watson. It is reassuring to find that you are as quick as ever to catch on. I believe that you would feel most at home in this fictional universe, my dear friend, for that is what it was. The product of human imagination, and, dare I say, romantic feeling, only one which now comprised an immersive physical experience. Immersive experience. This phrase sounds positively modern, Holmes. We are modern. This world was conjured up I knew not how, other than through a yet more powerful form of computational wizardry than that which we had encountered in recent days. So compelling was its very similitude that I found myself being drawn into it as though it were all real. On the breakfast table, I noticed a letter addressed to myself. Taking the letter opener, which had thoughtfully been placed beside it, I sliced the envelope open, producing the same satisfying susurrus as in life. Ha! Old habits die hard, especially those inscribed into a fictional memory of a fictional life. Before reading it, I studied the paper fastidiously for its watermark, felt its thickness, took up my glass to examine more closely the elegant slope of the hand. Glad felt a great stock, one guinea a sheaf, black wooden co, blue-black ink, the prepossessing handwriting was clearly that of a woman from a privileged background, the volutes and whorls suggesting a respectable upbringing, one in which the child had been left a certain liberty by a kindly governess in which to express themselves. The contents clarified much of what I had deduced from the physical data. Miss Trimble was a young woman now working as a governess for a family in a villa in Maida Vale. A priceless Delft urn had gone missing from the household, and she was the chief suspect. She was currently being detained by the family, but had managed to get this letter out via a servant. Would I kindly come to assist in the location of the urn and the proof of her innocence? Naturally, her address and a few other key particulars were supplied. I selected my favourite briarwood pipe from off the mantelpiece, stuffed it with tobacco from the Persian slipper, and lit it, musing on the case I had before me. As I exhaled, smoke appeared before me in this virtual world – I was marvelling at this when the door to the hall opened and you walked in. Holmes, I would know that look anywhere. You have a case, you said emphatically, throwing your gloves and hat off, helping yourself to a cigar and lighting it before reclining into one of the easy chairs. Edward Hardwick had clearly been the blueprint for your appearance. The likeness to the actor I had seen just the day before was unmistakable. Hours had passed with me in the suite. I had hardly felt the need to sit or take water. Why, it is like the opium dens of yore, I said. The body no longer perceives time's passing in this transfixed state. Holmes acquiesced. Your medical sensibilities do you proud, Watson. The simile is just. Hours passed with no consideration for what is happening outside of this realm. How powerful these phantasmagoria must be to entrance the mind so, I said. These visions were extraordinarily vivid and did indeed bring to mind those experiences I once believed I had had with Opium in our earlier adventures. What made all this so engaging was that here was a case, and you know my inclination to such intrigues. I can rarely resist them. My mind was already considering various permutations of how best to approach the investigation. So quickly did I feel at home in this foreign world. What happened next? I asked, curious to know how his adventure had ended. You suggested paying Miss Trimble a visit. I followed your lead, still finding my feet in this realm. And on it went for hours, the case unfolding its unique set of problems, wrong turnings, curiosities, themselves leading to new inquiries that never seemed close to being resolved. This was not so much a case as a lifestyle choice. Lifestyle choice? Holmes, where do you find these expressions? I chortled. I was losing track of why I had come to Vray which was to learn more about Roosh Strange's dependency on this VR suite in the weeks leading up to his supposed death. So I abandoned the case and went roaming around the city that Coden Doyle had loved. I thought I was looking for inspiration, but perhaps I was simply looking for the memories that I had never had. The parks, the Grand Railway stations, the monuments, the elegant tree-lined squares of Bloomsbury... I wandered through them all until I bumped into him, or rather, he into me, on Woven Walk, an attractive parade of shops just off the Euston Road. Into who, Holmes? Watson, it was you. Dozens of you. Doppelgangers, all dressed exactly alike, milling about, gazing in shop windows, whiling away the time. These duplicates were you, and not you for not one of them seemed interested in greeting me, something the real you would never have resisted for long. My suspicions alerted. I was on my guard, gathering round a street position towards the end of the parade where it meets the bend of Jukes Road. I strolled towards it, one eye askance at the multiple Watsons. There, at a foldable craps table, shuffling a deck of cards and laying them face down, I came face to face with myself. A duplicate Holmes! It was the eeriest thing imaginable, an intimation of the grave. Good afternoon, Mr. Holmes, said the man. May I read your fortune today? "But How is this possible? What witchy game is this? Chance, he said, in a tone entirely collected and even, undisturbed by any hint of emotion. It chilled me to the bone. He eyed me imperiously, as he continued to shuffle the... He eyed me, imperiously, as he continued to shuffle the pack, prolonging the advantage he had over me, before eventually splitting the deck and performing a riffle shuffle, his gaze on me all the while. He then slowly placed seven cards face down on the table's green plush, forming an H. Pick a card, any card, Mr. Holmes, my doppelganger said to me. "'I shall play no part in your ruse, sir,' I said. "'No matter. Allow me.' "'And he flipped over the card in the middle of the H. "'A scythe-wielding skeleton grinned up at me. "'He proceeded to do likewise with the remaining cards "'until the socketless skulls of seven death's heads were looking my way. "'He smiled at me, or I at myself. "'I was losing my grip on the situation. "'I suddenly heard the multitude clicks of revolver hammers being pulled back.' At my back, the Watsons had gathered, a vile throng of friendly faced enmity. So long, Sherlock Holmes, I said to myself. Halt! No one move! All eyes were turned to the source of this command. It came from a coach which had pulled up on the Duke's road. The window was open, but the occupant who had called out was unseen. A strange-looking rifle was poking out of the interior. A Kjellman. the product of Rudolf Kjellman and Swedish gun manufacturer Stockholm's Vabenfabrik's experiments towards producing an automatic machine gun which were based on Lieutenant Freiberg's prototype. De-cock your weapons! The disembodied voice continued. The look of that rifle was enough to have the assembled Watsons and the magician me momentarily ruffled. What looked like the slightest nod from my duplicate had the Watsons not decocking the hammer on their revolvers, but turning these revolvers on the carriage. A dry stillness then stretched out like Savannah between the assembled players in this drama, who all seemed to sense that one wrong move would set it all alight in an instant, scorching everyone who stood in its midst. Gazes flitted from man to man, eye to eye. Breaths grew heavier, fingers twitched on triggers. Then the disembodied voice spoke again. Herr Holmes, treffen Sie mich an 43 in fünf Minuten. Whoever they were, they had done their homework and knew I was a German speaker. Ge. Sherlock Holmes will return in Episode 14 A Saving Grace If you have enjoyed this podcast, you might like to try others by the same writer and producer, such as Dear Old Blood, Notes on a Wittgenstein Noir, and Modern Gothic. The writer now has a cracking idea for a second series of Baker Street 2033. So, you could also consider supporting the writer at buymeacoffee.com slash neilfitzgerald.